Let's pray and we'll ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we look at Psalm 11 that you help us to concentrate, even though we're tired and it's late and we're on holidays and we've eaten too much, please help us to still be able to understand what your word says, to still think hard about how to put it into practice in our lives and then give us hearts willing to change, willing to commit ourselves to be obedient, living in line with your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are incredibly blessed to live in Australia. We have so much. Uh, a country that's never had a war. We live at peace. We have security. We are exceedingly wealthy. And, and for us as Christians, we've got it so good. We have religious freedom in this country. We are allowed to gather together without fear of trouble or persecution. We're allowed to share our faith with people in this country. Lots of countries where you're not allowed to share your faith. We're allowed to participate in government. We're allowed to contribute to public debate. We're allowed to teach about Jesus in government schools. We're allowed to teach about, uh, we're allowed to run our own Christian schools. The government gives tax concessions to churches. And overall, there's a respect for our right to believe what we believe. Not everyone agrees with us, but the vast majority of people in Australia, they don't want to stop us from being Christian. They don't want to hurt us for being Christians. We've got it so good. And yet, if you had to describe the average Australian Christian, I don't think that you could say that we are bold. I don't think we make the most of the opportunities and the freedom that we have. In fact, if I had to give you one word to describe the faith of most Christians I know, this would be my word. Timid. We're quite timid about our faith. Now, people criticise the idea of Christians kind of ramming their views down someone's throat, but the vast majority of us are so, so far away from that, you can hardly get a squeak out of us. We're timid. I think about some of the opportunities that I've had over the last couple of weeks. Let me just share one with you. It was around about a week ago, I was speaking to a lady, a friend of my parents. Her daughter, a girl just a little bit younger than me, is suffering with cancer, most terribly. And uh, I asked the lady after her daughter, I asked how she was, and she said that things are not looking good. Uh, I kind of gave my sympathies and condolences. Now, she knows that I'm a minister. She knows my parents quite well. And I think with that in mind, trying to kind of speak my language to me, she said this. She said, Jeff, I say a rosary every single night for my daughter. I hope that God is listening. I didn't know what to say. My brain just kicked into overdrive and I started thinking about all, the, all these responses came into my head. I thought, well, maybe if you prayed to God instead of to Mary, your chances might be better. But I thought, well, you can't say that. That would be a really mean thing to say. And then I thought, well, shall I say, well, I trust that God does hear our prayers, but it may not be his will to heal your daughter. And I go, well, she doesn't want to hear that. And that just sounds like a cop-out anyway. And then I thought, somehow I've got to try to say that Jesus loves us and we can trust him for this life and the next. And meanwhile, the pause is getting longer and longer and more and more uncomfortable and I didn't know what to say and I didn't want to say the wrong thing and so I ended up mumbling something like I hope so too and the conversation moved on with me cursing myself for being so timid for kind of overthinking everything so that I end up saying nothing nothing helpful anyway I often 
mess up opportunities like that. And I'm always disappointed with how wimpish I am. Do you have opportunities like that as well? Do they come up in your life? How do you go? Are you, are you timid like I am? We live in a country with such freedom, security, safety. We have such opportunity and yet we are so timid. And if you had to say, if you had to say what direction you think our country is going in, I think you'd have to say away from Christianity, wouldn't you? I think, I could be wrong, but I think things will get more difficult for Christians in the coming years. I wonder where the whole homosexual agenda will lead. I suspect the day will soon come when it will be illegal to call homosexual sex sinful. They'll make us chop out pages from our Bibles or something like that. Uh, Scripture has been cut from Victorian schools in 2015. I suspect the door may not be open for too much longer in New South Wales. In 2015, three Christian books were banned for teaching that sex should only happen in marriage. I think our freedom to express biblical views will continue to be curtailed in ways like that. It may not be long before we won't be allowed to express biblical views on controversial issues like abortion or or refugees or or something like that. Our our so-called religious bias will exclude us from political or social debate. We just won't be allowed to speak up. And, and, And it'll be interesting to see as the social and moral tide turns against Christianity, I suspect that persecution and suspicion and criticism will increase. Uh, ordinary, ordinary Australians who are now quite sympathetic to us, I think ordinary Australians will get on the bandwagon against Christians. I wonder if in perhaps my lifetime or my children's lifetimes, Christians will go to jail for being Christian or for sharing their faith or for espousing biblical morality. They'll end up in jail. I wonder. So it's all a bit scary. Seems like things are going to get worse. And the temptation, of course, will be to to keep our heads down. I mean, even with all the freedom we have now, we're timid. How are we going to go when the heat is on? The temptation is going to be to run and hide, isn't it? Of course, this is by no means a new problem temptation to run and hide, nor is it a problem limited to Australia. It's far harder in other countries. And in fact, you can see this same sort of temptation in Psalm 11. If you have a look with me at the psalm, you can see in the heading of the psalm, and uh, as uh, Glenn read, that this heading is part of the psalm. It should be read with the psalm. Uh, this psalm was written by David. David, of course, is the famous David who killed Goliath, the one who became king of Israel. Have a look at the heading there with me of Psalm 11. For the director of music of David. Now, we don't know exactly when the psalm was written. We don't know what was happening in David's life that gave rise to this psalm. But we can tell from the psalm that David was in a situation of great danger. And the advice that he was getting was to run away and hide. Maybe this psalm actually came from the time when, uh, when Goliath was challenging the Israelites. Do you remember the story? So Israel and the Philistines were at war. Each was camped on a hill with a valley in between them. 
Uh, Goliath was the battle champion of the Philistines. No one could beat him in a fight. And each day he would come out from the Philistine camp and come down to the valley and he would challenge the Israelites. He said, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. But no Israelite was willing to do it. The Bible says King Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, at the time, David was a just a, a, a boy, a very young man, uh, too young to be in the army. He worked as a shepherd for his dad. But some of his brothers were in the army, so one day David went to bring them some supplies. As he was there, he heard Goliath and his challenges. He asked around about him, and, and everyone, everyone, including his brothers, said, go away, David. They said, mind your own business. You're too small. Stop sticking your nose into adult matters. Run back home to your daddy. But David trusted in God. And so he went to King Saul and he asked for the opportunity to fight Goliath. Saul also tried to discourage David. He said, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David convinced Saul and he went into battle. He challenged Goliath. He said, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The Lord will hand you over to me. And uh, we all know the story, don't we? David won a miraculous victory. Now, as I say, we don't know for sure if that's the background to this psalm. But it does fit pretty well. Because David talks about how he is trusting in God, taking refuge in God, but everyone else is telling him, you've got to run away and hide. Everyone else is saying, it's all too hard, evil is taking over, it's all falling apart, there's nothing anyone can do, just give up, run away. Look with me at verse 1 of the psalm, Psalm 11 and verse 1. David says, in the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, Flee like a bird to your mountain. For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Everyone's saying, it's too hard. Society's going to the dogs. Everything's falling apart. It's nothing like the good old days. It's too hard. David, you need to flee. Run away. But David doesn't just look to the danger that is facing him. No, no, David looks to God. David sees that whatever's happening around him, God is seated on his throne in heaven, ruling the universe. God sees what is happening in this world. He knows what is going on. Verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. God rules from his throne. He sees what people do and the day will come when God will judge. When God will judge and destroy the wicked. When God will judge and vindicate his people. 
His people will ultimately see his face. Verse 5. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. All right, can you see what's here then in this psalm? Everyone's telling David that he needs to run away and hide. It's all too hard. Everyone, the situation is too difficult. There's nothing he can do. But David knows that God is in control. David knows that God will judge. And so he's able to face his situation with courage and with faith. Nice psalm. And like all psalms, it finds its fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the ultimate David, had a most terrible, the most terrible, the most dangerous situation to face. He had to bear our sin and die on the cross in our place. And Jesus was tempted to run away and hide. That's what I think the temptations in the wilderness where the devil tempts Jesus, that's what they're all about. He's, he's tempting Jesus to avoid the cross, to find an easier way. But Jesus trusted God. Jesus knew there was no other way for us to be saved. Jesus knew that God would come through and vindicate him. And so the Bible says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He knew the joy that was before him in the future, and so he was able to endure the cross in the present. Jesus faced the ultimate test, the ultimate danger, trusting that God would finally vindicate him. And of course, that's exactly what God did. God raised Jesus to life again as our great King and Saviour. And the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He now has all authority in heaven and earth and he will judge on God's behalf. Jesus is the ultimate David. He's the one who set his face to the cross. He didn't run away and hide, unlike all his followers and everybody else. No, no, Jesus alone trusted God to the bitter end. This psalm points us to our wonderful, brave, courageous saviour. But more than that, I think this is also a challenge to us, this psalm, isn't it? Because, um, Because even with things as easy as they now are, We're pretty pathetic, aren't we? We're not very much like David in this psalm. We're so quick to run and hide, so timid. We retreat into Christian ghettos. This is an especially big temptation for those of us in the Christian school system. We end up so sheltered from the world, we don't even know any non-Christians. Or when we are out in the world, we don't, we don't stand up and be counted. People don't even know that we are Christians. We don't, we don't take on the battles that need to be fought, either in the public or, or in our private lives. We don't bravely speak up and speak out as Christians. We, we run away and hide. The way things are going in our society, it looks like it's going to get worse. And the temptation to run and hide is only going to get greater. So how are we going to go? In the minds of some nerds, October the 21st, 2015 was a very important date. Do you know why? It was Back to the Future Day. 
Yeah, nobody knew that in the 1040 service. Lots of people knew it in the 9 o'clock service and a few in this service. I wonder what that says about our church. It was Back to the Future Day. Uh, the title comes from a series of movies, uh, movies called the Back to the Future movies. One, two and three, they're set in 1985 and in the movies there's a time machine. And the characters in, in, in the movies, they travel from 1985, they travel 30 years forward in time to, you guessed it, the 21st of October 2015, hence Back to the Future Day. Well, in honour of this auspicious occasion, my children and I recently purchased the DVDs and uh, we've watched the first two of the Back to Future m- movies. And in the second movie, uh, a character from 2015 gets a sports almanac. Do you know what I mean? It's like a magazine that gives every sporting result for the previous 30 years. And then he takes the almanac back in time to 30 years previously. So that means he now knows in advance what will happen in every sporting event. He knows the result of every sport game before it happens. And so in the story, he he places all kinds of bets and he becomes very rich and he starts this whole evil empire and takes over the world and so on. But... Great movie. It's, but it's an inter- interesting idea, don't you reckon? Imagine being at a sporting event and you already know who will win. What would you do? Well, you'd put a bet on the winning team, wouldn't you? I know gambling is bad, but, but although if you already know the result, it's not gambling at all, is it? <laughs> More like fraud, probably, but, uh, but anyway, putting the morality aside, you'd put your money on the winners, wouldn't you? Now, just imagine the scene. Your team is the underdog. No one thinks they can win. The odds are 100 to 1 against them. You've got $1,000 riding on this, but they're losing. There are only five minutes to go. The fans of the opposing team, they're teasing you, they're calling you a loser, they're saying, you've bet on the wrong team. I remember being in a situation a little bit like this one time. I went with some friends uh, to watch the Wallabies play against the All Blacks and for some reason my friend got tickets in the part of the hill where all of the All Black fans were and I was surrounded by these massive Maoris. I was very quiet that day. Go Australia or not if it's going to offend anybody. Um, Can you imagine being in that kind of situation? Your team's losing, everyone around you is teasing you, calling you a loser. How do you react? Look, if you already know the result, and the Wallabies lost on the day that I was there, but if you already know the result, the Wallabies are going to win, I don't think the opposing fans are going to worry you too much, are they? I don't think you'll feel the need to run away and hide. I don't think you'll be angry with them either. If anything, you feel a bit sorry for them because you know what's going to happen. So what do you do? You're confident. You smile and say, say what you want. I'm sticking with my team. I reckon you should join me. Either way, let's just wait and see what happens. Friends, what David says in this psalm is still true. The Lord is on his holy throne today, now. The day is soon coming when the Lord will judge Those who are wicked will be destroyed. Those who are righteous in Christ will see the face of God. That's the future. And so do you know what? We know how this game ends. We know who wins. 
doesn't matter what happens to us. It doesn't matter what happens to society or the world. We know the end of the story. Jesus returns and every knee bows. So what should we do? Well, much like David in this psalm, much like the bloke who knows the result of the game in advance, the first thing we need to do is to stake our lives on Jesus. Put our hope in him. Bet our lives and our destinies on Jesus. And then how do we react when it looks like the gospel is failing? How do we react to the people who say we're on the wrong team, who tease us or even persecute us for being Christian? How do we react when other Christians are running and hiding or we're tempted ourselves to back out of the world into a little Christian bubble? What should we do when everyone's saying, stop talking about Jesus, run away, hide? Well, again, like David, like the person who knows the end in advance, we can just be confident, can't we? No need to run away and hide. No need to keep silent. No need either to get, to get angry with the people who oppose Jesus. If anything, we should feel sorry for them. Not, not, not in a patronising way, but, but with genuine concern because we know what their end will be. What should we do? I think we should be able to confidently smile and say... I don't care what you say, I'm sticking with Jesus. I reckon you'd be wise to do the same. Because wait and see, Jesus is going to come through. Friends, given that we know how the game ends, I think we could afford to be less timid now, don't you? Of course we need to be gracious and wise when opportunities come up, but, but I think we could afford to be a bit more out there, a bit more confident don't you? I love it when some really wise Christian appears on that ABC program Q&A. I don't know if you saw Peter Jensen when he was on there or when Miroslav Volf comes on there or John Dixon or someone like that. I love the way they're able to engage intelligently with a genuine grace and just a quiet confidence in God. I reckon they're a great model, don't you? A great model for us in situations where we have opportunity to speak up as Christians. Friends, the words of Psalm 11 apply to us today. God is ruling in heaven. Jesus is coming to judge all people. Every knee will bow. We know how the game ends. And so no matter how bad things may get in our society, friends like David, we should confidently stand firm with our refuge in God. Let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are seated upon your throne, ruling this universe. We thank and praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at your right hand with all authority in heaven and earth and with all judgment committed to him. We thank and praise you that we know the end of the story, that all things will be brought under the headship of Christ, that every knee will bow to him. We thank and praise you, Heavenly Father, that through Jesus we can know our future to be forgiven, your children who will see your face. Father, given that this is true, and we believe it is true, given that this is our future, and we believe it is our future, we pray that you would help us to live in the present with greater confidence, with greater courage. Help us to speak up and speak out bravely for our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.